0: chapter five part two of women of the french revolution by winifred Stevens. this librivox recording is in the public domain part two of the story of the revolution told by its women writers it was not until a year after this incident on the eleventh of october seventeen ninety one that madame de Genlis succeeded in getting away from france alleging as a pretext that the health of mademoiselle d'orléans required a change of air she left for england taking with her the princess and pamela and escorted by the deputy Petion, who was afterwards to become so prominent eight months after her departure the french government declared war on austria whose emperor was thought to be in league with the emigre army Today, the king has proclaimed war wrote madame julien to her husband on the twentieth of april seventeen ninety two his speech was so simple and constitutional the president's reply laconic and just the number of women whom the commissioners had allowed to penetrate into the sanctuary so upset the good deputies that the session was adjourned before two o'clock just after the king had left the war was unfortunate for france from the beginning you have already heard of dillon's defeat and of his unhappy fate he was massacred by his own troops wrote madame julien to her husband on may the third seventeen ninety two a second affair before mons commanded by monsieur de biron was also a failure our aristocrats display a horrible joy which i hope will be but short-lived she continues we can scarcely breathe we are so anxious for news mirabeau was right war is absorbing and that is unfortunate when there is so much else needing our attention a fortnight later madame julien writes that she is persuaded that this stagnation of the armies results from a plot the conspirators were to use her own phrase all the constituted authorities and their aim the subversion of the new order equally disliked by the ambitious powerful and by the wicked wealthy this supposed royalist conspiracy becomes a veritable obsession for madame julien and for many others she hears in the street below the cry infernal plot of lesfayans discovered innocence of the jacobins established to obtain material proofs of this plot is impossible she writes only the idiotic and the vulgar demand them moral certitude alone is possible because these wicked conspirators are far too crafty to leave any trace of their malevolent designs meanwhile paris is growing more and more agitated especially in the palais royal and the tuileries gardens we returned from the tuileries gardens about six o'clock in the evening writes madame julien on may twenty third seventeen ninety two all paris was there we saw two incidents which greatly moved the crowd first it was an officer who struck a colporteur because he was selling a pamphlet justifying the jacobins the people would have set upon him had not a member of the national guard while reproving the officer promised the people that he should be brought to justice nevertheless he did not escape being knocked about shaken and howled at and finally accompanied to the guard-house by some two or three thousand souls all this happened on the feuillant terrace the terrace of the feuillant monastery adjoining the riding-school where the assembly sat at the very gates of the palace i was sitting on the parapet of the terrace it was like being on a rock on the shore of a raging ocean no sooner was calm established than another storm broke out again waves of people rushed from all directions it was the poet ronchi who wanted to harangue a group of people at whose aristocratic ardor they were about to cool by throwing him into the water happily a justice of the peace put up his little white wand, and the docile crowd overawed by the sudden appearance of this symbol of the law contented itself with demanding that ronch be sent out of the gardens and two thousand conducted him to the gate near the pont royal so that from my seat on the parapet i saw this little scene quite close still no news from the frontier she writes on may sixth seventeen ninety two and the month of may is over the stagnation the inactivity of our armies contrasted with french impetuosity makes those who have long-sighted spectacles tremble meanwhile at home patriotism burns brightly yesterday she continues a man from bordeaux laid fifty seven thousand francs in coin on the altar of the fatherland the market roughs les fards de la halle brought eight hundred francs to the altar in the senate house they said that the declaration of the rights of man and the constitution ought to be carried at the head of the army like the ark on the sixteenth of june she tells her son that the king has partly changed his ministry roland minister of the interior servant of war and clavier of finance have been dismissed she recommends her son to read attentively in le moniteur roland's letter to the king generally thought to have been inspired by madame Roland it brought him into disgrace with the court it will win him the admiration and the esteem of the whole of france the blindness of kings is the scourge of humanity truth cannot come near them and the fools think that by rejecting they annihilate it whilst in reality they only make it more visible roland's memory will be immortal on june the nineteenth the eve of the first mob attack on the tuileries she writes to her husband "Tomorrow morrow the people will rise they will march to the National Assembly to demand sweeping measures. Her servant Marion walks round the Tuileries gardens and finds more people congregated there than there are grains of sand. All speak the same language. All demand that the king shall either support the Constitution or openly declare himself its enemy. The morning of the eventful 20th, madame julien spends in the assembly listening to the speeches of vergniaud the Girondist orator, and others discussing whether or no the people's demands shall be granted and the sections of paris admitted to the assembly hall finally at half-past one they are allowed to come in forty thousand citizens enter through the door opposite the place vendome the true sovereign was really majestic she writes for two hours by my watch it defiled through the hall in perfect order in magnificent tranquillity there were citizens armed with pikes national guards hussars grenadiers troops of the line ladies women of the people all mingling in a spirit of equality and fraternal unity they bore the sacred tables of the rights of man and a thousand emblems of the constitution and of liberty military music played the The regularity of this procession was broken from time to time by various incidents. When the president of the assembly was being saluted, flags got entangled, and there were cries hailing the accident as a symbol of reunion. One fellow, looking like a clodhopper, held up the whole procession while he said a few words about the war, which were full of force and common sense. Monsieur Santerre came last. In the name of the suburbs, les faubourgs, he presented the assembly with a superb banner as the last group was passing through the hall the president stopped it to announce that the brave lochner had taken courtrai and captured more than a thousand prisoners of war and that the germans in the city had cried long live the french nation the procession passed out of the hall on to the feuillant terrace towards the tuileries palace which they completely surrounded they entered it by the gates on the place du carrousel madame julien now ceases to be an eye-witness in describing the scenes enacted within the palace she cites as authorities her hairdresser who said the next morning that the invaders had displayed the greatest moderation and the most profound wisdom and her faithful servant marion who apparently entered the tuileries with the crowd there she saw astounding things the people in the king's house presenting him with two cockades one tricolour and the other white the king choosing the tricolour and putting on the red cap the red phrygian cap of liberty superb things were said to the king and doubtless apparently she was not quite sure about this he was presented with a petition asking him to withdraw his veto from the decrees establishing an armed camp of patriots round paris and the transportation of the non-juring clergy madame julien now an ardent jacobin was growing more and more impatient of the legislative assembly whose meeting seemed to her a sublime farce and whose actions she thought calculated to irritate the masses The June attack on the Tuileries had been no more than an attempt to frighten the king into granting his people's demands. But as July drew into August and the fateful Tenth approached, Madame Julien began to perceive terrible storm-clouds lowering. On the 8th, she wrote, Nothing but a miracle can save us. On the ninth, The tocsin has sounded the alarm. The streets are full of people. Trembling women look from the windows and question the passers-by then as in all revolutions there were many who failed to see what was coming on that very evening to Louise fusil the city seemed tranquil the people appeared to be mainly occupied with dancing at the parisian vauxhall while the women were busy making those frocks in the coblance fashion which had now succeeded le costume constitution and le chapeau revolution louise on that eventful evening was making a coblance scarf when her husband and a friend came in wearing uniform but this had no significance for what she called her mind it was not until the following day when she saw the squares and streets strewn with corpses that madame louise began to take the revolution seriously at the close of that day madame julien wrote a description of it to her husband listen and shudder she began the night was uneventful the tuileries had been filled with national guards the assembly also had its triple guard at six in the morning the king had reviewed his swiss guards on the swing bridge at eight he went to the national assembly suddenly the swiss appeared at all the palace windows and fired on the national guards the gates of the chateau opened and bristling with cannon let fly a volley on the people the swiss redoubled their firing the national guard with barely two rounds of ammunition was riddled the people fled then rallied in rage and despair the marseilles volunteers were so many heroes performing prodigies of valour the chateau was stormed heaven's justice opened up a way for the invaders and the swiss expiated in death the base treason of which they had been the instruments the whole royal family mere toys in the hands of a bloodthirsty faction had taken advantage of a favourable moment to seek refuge with the assembly they were conducted to the reporters gallery where they still are no newspaper has appeared i have not heard a word of the assembly and incredible as it may sound the assembly may have been calmer to-day than at any time in its existence to-day the tenth of august was to have been the day of the counter revolution three weeks later madame julien was describing the first of those terrible days when the furious populace invaded the jails and butchered between twelve and sixteen hundred prisoners would you believe it she writes i spent from six till eight in the tuileries gardens crowds everywhere agitated yet orderly paris has no night now when daylight fades there are illuminations two magnificent pyramids of light on the great lake and illuminated booths in the sidewalks the feuillant terrace was as bright as day covered with groups of men women and children all ready to follow the most generous impulses or to give effect to the most terrible resolutions then her letter suddenly assumes a more tragic tone six masons returning from work tell of the horrors that are being perpetrated they have seen piles of corpses at the gates of the prisons the emissaries of the people fearing lest in the event of the prussians marching into paris the imprisoned anti-revolutionaries should rise and join them have been visiting each jail in turn and after some kind of inquiry have massacred the prisoners in cold blood This terrible carnage had seemed to them the only way of assuring the safety of the wives and families of the heroes fighting at the front. "'My pity,' writes Madame Julien, "'makes me weep over the fate shared alike by the guilty and the innocent. "'My God, have mercy on a people provoked to such horrible bloodshed! Impute it not!' Then, too deeply moved to write more, she throws down her pen in the middle of a sentence about the time of the prison massacres charlotte robespierre came to paris to join her brothers maximilien and auguste who were both members of the national convention the three robespierre were invited to dine at madame Julien's. i am to make the acquaintance of this patriotic family she writes the head of which has so many friends and so many enemies madame julien was quick to see into the hearts of this famous trio in her portraits there is a fine aloofness of judgment which we miss in the portraits of madame roland maximilien's hostess had previously criticized him somewhat severely his literary style as displayed in the newspaper le défenseur de la constitution she had thought careless and uninspiring in july seventeen ninety two he had seemed to her to be losing credit she was distressed to hear him in the jacobin club denouncing the great girondins vergniaud and brissot she regrets his ironical tone in his controversy with her friend Pition, who after june the twentieth had been suspended from his office as mayor of paris Pition is worthy of respect she writes robespierre should not despise him were robespierre my husband i would throw myself at his feet and implore him in the name of the public good to forget his private vengeance on nearer acquaintance however she thought better of robespierre the family as a whole pleased her they convinced her that maximilien had nothing whatever to do either with the august attack on the tuileries or with the prison massacres she cannot believe that nature would have endowed an evil soul with so handsome a countenance but he seems to her about as well fitted to be a party leader as to take the moon in his teeth an abstract thinker dry and academic he is as gentle as a lamb and as serious as young i see she writes to her husband that he has not your tender sensibility however i like to believe that he desires the good of mankind though it is rather from a sense of justice than from any good-will the younger robespierre madame julien liked less he was more animated than his brother but less distinguished and of a petulance likely to lead to mischief-making in well-chosen neutral tints madame julien paints the colourless charlotte robespierre she is naive and natural like your aunts she writes to her son she came two hours before the others we had a woman's talk and i made her tell me about their home lives simple and frank like our own both madame julien's diary and charlotte's own memoirs suggest that the virtuous robespierre family had a jaundiced outlook on life that they were a bilious trio loving but not understanding even one another certainly from the time of the arrival of charlotte and auguste in paris their family relations were far from harmonious charlotte was jealous of her brother's friends especially of the Dupless, the family of a master cabinet-maker of la rue saint honore with whom he had lodged ever since the night of the champ de mars massacre when he like the roberts had deemed it imprudent to return to his own home these hospitable people so charlotte tells us received her and her brother when they arrived from arras but from the beginning charlotte was displeased at finding herself and auguste lodged in rooms remote from their brothers she tells how finally she persuaded Maximilien to leave the Duplaise and to establish himself with his brother and sister in a flat of their own in la rue Saint-Florentin. But there he fell ill, and Madame Dupleis, accusing Charlotte of neglecting her brother, fetched him away. Then, of course, it was war to the knife between the two women, as the following incident, told by Charlotte, shows. I often sent my brother jam or preserved fruits or some other dainty of which he was very fond, writes Charlotte whenever she saw my servant arriving with such a gift madame Duplay would fly into a temper one day she said to my servant who had brought some pots of jam take them away i won't have her poisoning Robespierre." the servant did not fail to report those words to her mistress the terrible blasphemy exclaims charlotte instead of making a scene which would have annoyed my brother she continues i devoured my grief and my indignation in silence soon afterwards she quarrelled with her younger brother auguste here again her brother's friends were the cause of the dispute she never saw auguste afterwards and maximilien she met but rarely but to go back to the autumn of seventeen ninety two in november madame de genlis accompanied by pamela returned from england and paid a visit of one night only to paris the appearance of the capital and the ferocious and insolent air of the people in the streets justified her worst fears only the desire to give mademoiselle d'orleans up to the duke her father and to resign her post as governess had induced madame de Genlis to risk a return she had begun to realize that the misfortune of being connected with the house of orleans was exposing her to all kinds of calumny and persecution but she found it impossible to get rid of mademoiselle by bringing the princess back to paris against her father's wishes egalite had sent courier after courier to madame de Genlis forbidding her to return she had placed her in the greatest danger for the convention had included mademoiselle in the list of proscribed enemies even the selfishness of madame de Genlis could not withstand Egalité's urgent entreaty that she would continue in office if only for a fortnight longer until another governess could be found and that meanwhile she would hurry out of france taking mademoiselle with her accordingly on the following morning she bade farewell to her husband de Sillery, whom she was never to see again and to egalite whom she wishes her readers to believe that she then saw for the last time Monsieur le duc d'orleans she writes gloomier than ever gave me his arm and led me to the carriage i was greatly moved mademoiselle was in tears her father pale and trembling he stood motionless at the carriage door his eyes fixed on me his sad lugubrious glance seemed to implore pity farewell madame he said his broken voice touched me deeply unable to utter a single word i gave him my hand he took it pressed it then turning to the postilions he gave them the signal and we started their destination was tournay which was then just across the frontier there madame de genlis stayed much longer than the stipulated fortnight for no new governess arrived to take her place i did not waste my time at tournay she writes we led a well-ordered life there a person in town lent me books i read aloud every day for an hour and a half i played the harp with mademoiselle she painted flowers so did i then we did all kinds of fancy work i taught her to make charming little straw baskets the paris church was but a few steps from the house we went to mass there every day and our time passed swiftly and even agreeably as was my custom i sat up alone every evening for two or three hours writing my diary and jotting down my reflections it was at tournay writes madame de Genlis, that we heard of the horrible catastrophe which ended the life of the unfortunate louis the sixteenth from the bottom of my heart i deplored this terrible event and for more than one reason then she gives a letter from her husband saying that he had voted for la reclusion imprisonment jusqu'a la paix that in doing so he had obeyed his conscience knowing very well that by expressing such an opinion he had pronounced his own death sentence Sillery was not mistaken he was guillotined nine months after the king he had tried to save it was at tournay in march seventeen ninety three that the commander-in-chief of the revolution armies dumouriez went over to the enemy madame de Genlis was accused of being implicated in this treachery in her précis de la conduite de madame de Genlis depuis la révolution she attempts to clear herself of this charge of all the lies concocted about me she writes this one is the most absurd and the least probable true i was charmed with so famous a man but never for a single instant was i alone in tete-a-tete with him madame de Genlis admits however that during the time that they were both at tournay from march twenty sixth to thirty first she entertained the general to dinner three times when dumouriez left tournay for st armand on the thirty first madame and her pupils followed him there travelling in a berline with the blinds down wearing large brimmed hats and thick veils which completely hid their faces madame also admits that on hearing that the conspirator's object was the restoration of a constitutional monarchy she remarked that it ought never to have been abolished but she added after having shed so much blood to establish a republic, it was better to adhere to it. We cannot follow Madame de Genlis through all her subsequent wanderings, neither can we enter into the details of her temporary rupture with the Orléans family, and of her parting with Mademoiselle. But one incident of those travels must be related. It occurred in July 1794, when she was staying in a boarding-house at Altena. There, in a curious manner, she heard of Robespierre's death, it was one hour after midnight she writes i was very surprised to hear continuous knocking at my door and my astonishment increased when i recognized the voice of my neighbor m de Quercy, who was generally so quiet he was crying open your door open quickly i must kiss you when i refused to gratify so singular a desire he repeated several times you yourself will wish to kiss me open your door finally i obeyed m de kercy threw himself on my neck and said the tyrant is no more robespierre is dead then in truth i did embrace my visitor and with all my heart the next day adds madame de Genlis, they heard that the effect of the news on one of robespierre's supporters in the neighborhood had been to make him fall down stark dead for an account of the events preceding robespierre's death of the famous ninth of thermidor when the incorruptible was arrested by the convention and took refuge at the Hotel de ville one turns naturally to the memoirs of robespierre's sister but only to meet with disappointment for charlotte's account of one of the most critical days in her own life and in the whole course of the revolution is brief and totally without any personal touch having discussed in summary fashion the moving scene in the convention having described briefly his flight to the de ville she says the Thermidorians attacked the Hotel de ville with troops that the convention had placed at their disposal the terrible decree of outlawry had scattered all those who had rallied round my brother to defend him he was seized but i cannot continue the story history must fill in the blank left by my sorrow one sympathizes with charlotte when she shrinks from relating the events of a day which must have filled her with anguish nevertheless one would like to know where she was and how she behaved on the ninth of thermidor did she attempt to fly to her brother's side or did she simply cower indoors did she stay all day in the place where she was then living in the Hotel de cherbourg near the saint eustache church and only a few minutes walk away from the Hotel de ville where her brother's fate was being decided as to her doings on the next day the tenth of thermidor charlotte leaves us in no doubt i rushed into the street she says my head in a whirl despair in my heart she sought for her brothers when she was sure of not finding them when they were in prison but had she sought them on the previous day i run here and there she continues i entreat to be allowed to see them i drag myself to the soldiers they repulse me laugh at my tears insult me strike me a few pitiful people drag me away my mind wandered i did not know what happened or what became of me when i came to myself i was in prison charlotte had been arrested on the thirteenth of thermidor the thirtieth of july her replies during her examination by the revolutionary tribunal show her anxious to save her own life at the expense of her brother's reputation after asserting and probably with truth that she had frequently remonstrated with maximilien as to his actions and the kind of company he kept She adds that had she for a moment guessed the nature of the infamous plot, complot infame, in which she was involved, she would have denounced him to the authorities rather than have seen her country imperilled. We must not be hard on Charlotte. She was no heroine, only a dull, peevish woman, totally incapable of comprehending the vast issues at stake. And now she was trembling with fear and possessed by one idea alone that of saving her own life. Her imprisonment lasted fifteen days at the close of her memoirs she tells a confused story of a lady who came to her in prison and made her sign some paper the contents of which she did not completely understand she fears lest the cowardly thermidorians may have used it against her brother's friends with this reflection her memoirs close the paper to which she referred has not yet been identified perhaps it never existed on the authority of auguste robespierre we know charlotte's memory to have been unreliable charlotte having adopted her mother's name of carreau lived on in obscurity until 1830. Two years before her death she inserted in her will a clause intended to rehabilitate her brother maximilien's memory voulant avant de payer à la nature she wrote le tribut que tous les mortels lui doivent faire connaître mes sentiments envers la mémoire de mon frère aîné je déclare que je l'ai toujours connu comme un homme plein de vertu by a strange coincidence madame de Genlis and charlotte robespierre died in the same year the former had long before then returned to france when in seventeen ninety nine the name of madame de Genlis was erased from the list of emigres and she was permitted to return to her native land she found it greatly changed the streets had all been renamed and the names of philosophers substituted for those of saints many of the cabs in the streets she recognized as the confiscated carriages of her friends who had perished in the revolution and in the shop windows she saw their books pictures and furniture for sale but perhaps what struck her the most was the change that had come over the manners and habits of the women young women she thought much less reserved than they had been they would recline on a sofa without throwing a rug over their feet so that the slightest movement might reveal a foot or even part of a leg the girls of the period would call young men by their christian names would address their girlfriends by the second person singular such things said madame de Genlis, were never thought of before the revolution men so it seemed to the returned émigrés, treated women with less respect than in the good old times when she would have us believe they always addressed the fair sex with reverence and in a lower tone of voice than they would use when speaking to men existence in so coarse and vulgar a world must have been terrible indeed for the exquisite madame de Genlis. yet she contrived to live on to a ripe old age through the napoleonic period and the reigns of the two bourbons of the elder line and not to die until her pupil louis philippe was well established on the throne chapter five